God regenerated you. He made you new. He changed you from being a slave of sin to being obedient from the heart to the gospel through His Word. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series, Whose Slave Are You? Last time, Tom gave us five principles regarding our relationship to sin. First, you are a slave to what you present yourself as a slave to. Second, there are only two spiritual masters, sin or God. Three, you can only be a slave to one of those two masters. Four, you identify your master by what you do. And finally, spiritual slavery to these two types of masters results in two radically different results, either eternal death or eternal life. But don't be discouraged, friend, because as you'll be reminded today, if you're in Christ, there has been a fundamental change in how you relate to sin. Because of Christ, you became obedient from the heart. It's this radical change that Tom will explore today. So friend, open your Bible now as we join Tom Pennington on The Word Unleashed. The Roman Christians to whom Paul wrote this epistle were surrounded by the institution of Roman slavery. You have to sort of dispossess your mind of American slavery. There, of course, are points of similarity wherever slavery is found, but Roman slavery was not American slavery. But when Paul uses this image of slavery in Romans chapter 6 as an illustration of spiritual realities, the Roman Christians got it because they were surrounded by this institution. What Paul intended to say here to them was crystal clear. But we have a bit of a disadvantage because, I say in in one sense we have a disadvantage, we have a huge advantage on the other because it's not part of our lives, but none of us have ever been physically enslaved. And it's unlikely, although there may be a few here, who have met someone who has been enslaved. Obviously, the illustration that Paul uses here still works because we've read enough of history to understand it. But when we read here in chapter 6 that we were slaves of sin and now are slaves of God, it isn't immediately as clear to us as it was to them. This week I was, I was trying to think, what in our culture is the closest equivalent to first century Roman slavery. There really isn't something that's close, but but the closest that you can get, and I hope I don't offend anyone here, but the closest you can get in our culture to that image is when someone enlists in the military. Think about it for a moment. When you agree and you sign up your life to be a part of the military, you now are committing to do what you are told exactly as you are told without arguing or delay. And if you choose to disobey, there are often significant consequences, sometimes even physical ones. 
You live where your superiors tell you to live. You wear what they tell you to wear. You do the job they assign you. You go to bed and you get up on their command. The only time that is yours is the time that they allow you to have. The rest of the time, your life belongs to them. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says that is exactly the kind of control that sin used to exercise over all of us. And it is exactly the kind of control that righteousness now exercises over us. Romans chapter 6, Paul is dealing with the believer's new relationship to sin. In all of the verses of this chapter, we've outlined the chapter like this. Verses 1 to 14 teaches this basic point. We are no longer slaves of sin because we were united to Jesus Christ and we died to sin. That is, we died to its reign with Him and we have been raised to a new life where we are no longer slaves of sin. Last week, we began to look at the second half of chapter 6 and verses 15 to 23 essentially have this point. We are now slaves of God and of righteousness. Let's read it again together, chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. We are now slaves of God and of righteousness. Paul begins in verse 15 with these words, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul is contrasting our lives before Christ with our lives after Christ. And he uses throughout this paragraph the institution of first century Roman slavery to illustrate the controlling influences that were true of us before and that are true of us now. I am more convinced than ever of how absolutely crucial and foundational this passage is to us as believers. In fact, I would put it this way. If you don't understand who you are in Christ, as Paul explains it here, you will be poorly equipped to grow in Christian maturity and holiness. 
If you don't get your mind around chapter 6, and I know it's mind-stretching, and for, for some of you it's like, do we really, can't we just skip to the good parts? This is the good part. Because understanding what God has done for you in Christ is what will equip you to battle sin in your life, to grow in holiness. Now, the main point of this paragraph is that true Christians are no longer slaves of sin, but are slaves of God. And that's why, verse 15, they don't take sin lightly, because they have a new master. Now, as Paul did in the first half of this chapter, he begins in verses 15 and 16 with a flawed conclusion about the believer's relationship to sin. Here he is, he is quoting either the opponents of his gospel who said, Paul, if you preach that way, if you preach that kind of gospel where, where we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, it's going to encourage sin. Perhaps he's, he's responding to them. Or perhaps he's responding to a flawed conclusion that some believers were tempted to come to. They were tempted to take sin lightly. Regardless, he begins by presenting the conclusion, that flawed conclusion that some may have come to, verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Again, this is referring to an ongoing pattern of sin, a continuing state of or settled life of sin. It's a flippant attitude that takes sin lightly. We're not talking about the, the normal Christian struggle with the sin they hate, their desire to put it off. We're talking about a person who doesn't really take sin seriously. I'm saved by grace, so sin doesn't really matter. How does Paul respond to one who claims to be a Christian but who takes sin lightly because he's no longer under law as a way to earn God's favor, but rather he is under grace as the mechanism by which he comes to know God. Look at Paul's correction. Middle of verse 15, he says, may it never be. This is moral outrage. Paul says, no, it cannot be. And then following the same pattern as he does in the first half of this chapter, Paul lays out a general principle. You remember back in the first half of the of the chapter, he raises the question and he lays out this general principle, we died to sin in verse 2. Well, he's doing the same thing here in verse 16. He lays down a general principle that he will spend the rest of the paragraph developing. And last time, we examined that, that general principle. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Paul intentionally chooses to use the language of first century Roman slavery to teach us a powerful spiritual lesson. Our freedom in Christ, and we revel in that, don't we? But our freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin. And the reason that's true is while it's true that we're no longer slaves to sin, we are now slaves to God and of righteousness. Now, contained within verse 16 are several key propositions that I walked through with you last week. All I'll do this week is mention them just to give you context for what we're going to study this morning. Here, here are the propositions we learned and discovered last week from verse 16. If you present yourself as a slave to something or someone, 
you are a slave. Secondly, in the spiritual realm, there are only two masters. There's sin or there's God. Thirdly, you can only be a slave to one of those two masters. As Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You only have one. So either this morning, as you sit in your seat, you are either a slave of sin or you are a slave of God. Those are your only two choices. There's no C on the test. There's no all of the above. Number four, you can only identify your master by what you do. In other words, look at who you regularly obey, who in the pattern of your life you obey. Is your life marked by a pattern of obedience to sin? Sin says, do this and you pursue it with all of your heart. Or is your life marked by a pattern of obedience to God? You can identify your true master by what you do. And then the fifth principle that we learned from verse 16 last week was this. These two kinds of slavery result in two radically different ends. One result, sin results in death. If you serve sin, if you're a slave to sin, we're talking death, both obviously physical death and spiritual death, but in context, he's talking about eternal death because he contrasted in verse 23 with eternal life. So, using the analogy or the illustration of slavery then, Paul has laid down a general principle for us that we can encapsulate in these five basic propositions. Now, in the rest of the chapter, he will fill out this concept in detail. And I want us to see this morning, he he starts by explaining why this analogy of slavery works And it's because of what has happened to us, what happened to us in salvation. So in verses 17 and 18, Paul reminds us, and this is the the second part of the flow of his argument here, Paul reminds us of the radical change in the believer's relationship to sin. The radical change that has happened in the believer's relationship to sin. If you are in Christ, if if Christ is your representative, if you have come to know Him, then a radical change has already happened to you when it comes to your relationship to sin. Look at verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin you became slaves of righteousness. That is an amazing passage of Scripture. That is one of the clearest definitions in all of the Bible of what it means to be a true Christian. A true Christian is not someone who has prayed a prayer. A true Christian is not someone who tries to live a good life. A true Christian is not someone who affirms the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. A true Christian is someone who has experienced a radical change in the person that they are. It is also one of the best and most profound explanations of what happened to you and to me at the moment of our salvation that you can find anywhere in Scripture. Paul's point is that as a result of what happened to you at salvation, your relationship to sin has been radically altered. Now, there is 
so much here in these two verses. Let's take it apart together. First of all, I want you to notice our condition before salvation. And that condition is this, we were slaves of sin. Notice verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. Notice that description, you were slaves of sin. Now, in the original language, the verb tense that Paul uses describes a continual state in the past. So, it literally means you were continually the slaves of sin. This is how you were described. This is the state in which you lived. Now, it's, it's vital to understand that what Paul says here was universally true of every one of us before salvation. There are no exceptions. He's writing to every believer in Rome, and he says to them, you were slaves of sin. It's also true of every sinner without exception. Every human being apart from Christ, is a slave of sin. Now, it's very important here that we don't allow our thinking to become confused because we all know unbelievers who are or appear to be good people. We live in North Texas. There are a lot of good old boys. There are a lot of people who who live what appear to be decent lives. Many unbelievers do what appear to us to be good things. They they spend their time and energy to help others, as, as many did, for example, in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey down in Houston. We can be tempted to think this, surely that person isn't a slave to sin. But you have to remind yourself that there are many different ways that sin and slavery to sin is expressed. Some are enslaved to the grossest expressions of sin. They give themselves over to gross immorality, to lives consumed with sex and drugs and and violence and dishonesty and all kinds of things. Those people are described in Romans 1 represented by the pagan Gentiles. Read the list of sins there, and you will see those people. But many others around us appear to be law-abiding, decent, even good people. They're religious, maybe even claim to worship the true God, maybe even read the Scripture, maybe talk about God, try to do good things. Those people are described in Romans 2, represented by the unbelieving Jews. Paul says that God's wrath is revealed against both groups. Why? Because both groups, whatever the external expression of their sin may be, are slaves of sin. Let me remind you, go back to Romans chapter 3. After Paul deals in chapter 1 with pagan Gentiles, he deals in chapter 2 through chapter 3, verse 7, with unbelieving Jews, and he comes to this conclusion in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged, here it is, Paul says, this is what I have spent the first two chapters doing. We have charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. They're all slaves to sin. They're all guilty of sin. They're all deserving of the wrath of God. 
And then Paul goes on in verse 10 down through verse 18 to provide biblical proof that all men are slaves of sin. In verse 10, he he summarizes human depravity. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. And Paul then goes on to use a string of Old Testament references to illustrate the depth of that depravity in verses 11 through 17. Notice the depth of human depravity. And again, remember, he's talking about all unbelieving Jews and pagan Gentiles. He's talking about all human beings, whatever their external expressions of sin might be. And notice how he describes their depravity. First of all, they have a darkened mind. Verse 11, there is none who understands. They have wills that are enslaved. Verse 11 goes on to say, there is none who seeks for God. Their wills are enslaved to sin. No human being seeks the true God and to submit himself to the true God. Even if he acknowledges the true God, he wants to retain his own autonomy, his own self-rule. Rebellious lifestyles, verse 12, all have turned aside, together they have become useless. The picture here is that all of us, without exception, have turned aside from the path God has laid out, from the patterns of behavior that He has commanded, and we have instead created our own paths, our own predictable patterns of behavior that are contrary to the ones He's commanded. He goes on in verse 12 to describe sinful behavior. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Not one. So it doesn't matter what you or I think about the person next door or the person at work or or that person who gives his time and effort to help the flood victims in Houston. There isn't one who does good. Not one. Paul goes on in verses 13 and 14 to talk about how depravity affects man's speech. It's toxic. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. In other words, our words reveal the decay and death that is in our hearts. If you doubt that, just read the comment sections on the internet. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. What does that mean? Our words kill and destroy. Whose mouth, verse 14, is full of cursing and bitterness. And then, in verses 15 through 17, our toxic speech spills over into destructive relationships. Tragically, the sin in our hearts leaks out and infects and destroys all human relationships Why? Because notice verse 15, there is within us a predisposition to violent anger. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There is also a pattern of destroying relationships. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their paths. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, follow the path of a fallen human being, and in their wake, everywhere you look, you will find the debris of broken and destroyed relationships. Just like if you follow the path of Irma today, you will find destruction everywhere. That's how human beings are when it comes to relationships.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his current series, Whose Slave Are You? Tom will bring you part four on our next broadcast as he once again takes us to God's Word. And we would love if you'd join us then. But Tom, today's message brought a sobering yet encouraging word, didn't it? You know, that's right, Bill. It's really both. It's sobering because it's a serious call to self-examination. It's one thing to profess to know Jesus Christ. It's another thing to evidence a life that has been truly, radically transformed. And so we need to examine ourselves, as Paul says, to see if we're in the faith. And can I just plead with you to do that? Don't look back on some profession you made many, many years ago, but ask yourself the question, have I been truly changed at the heart level by the Holy Spirit? Am I a new creature in Christ? And if you are, then understand that you and I both need to be serious about setting aside our sin and really pursuing Christ with all of our hearts. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music